Let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens, so we want to make sure that we talk all about it. Yep, so thanks for joining us today, and let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott. And Scott, man, how has your week been going? Oh, it's fantastic. I got my DC Legion of Collectors box on Monday. <laughs> yes, I did too. Oh my goodness, it was so much fun. Okay, so I have to talk about what was in it. Yep. Uh, so when you open the box, first, there, there's, there's Batman on the box. How right. awesome was that? Yep. Um, open it up. There was the little um, fabric patch with a Wonder Woman symbol on it. And then there was a Superman lapel pin that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then you opened it up. And of course, you, you saw the armored Batman pop like we were all expecting because that's the whole reason we all bought the box, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> and then there was a Legion of Collectors exclusive two-pack Dorbs, uh, the kryptonite glow-in-the-dark green. There's mm-hmm. a Superman and an Aquaman. And then in the bottom, totally wasn't expecting this, there was was an exclusive variant cover of Batman Superman number five by mm-hmm. Greg Pak and Brent Booth. And then, of course, there was the baby blue uh, Batman v Superman t-shirt that looks like a luchador fight poster. <laughs> right. I am debating whether that's actually the shirt that I wear to the movie or not. I have so many choices now. Oh, okay. What, I mean, what, what are your th- what, what is your wardrobe decision looking like right now, Tim? Well, I think it's just going to be the standard Batman v Superman shirt, you know, with the logo, just the combined logo. Okay. I've, I've, I'm either going to do this uh, this Funko shirt, or I'm probably going to wear a Batman shirt. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in bias. Yeah, and I also actually was debating wearing a Suicide Squad cast T-shirt, but I think I'll just go with the Batman v Superman shirt. We we have shirts. Oh, you didn't know about that. <laughs> Why am I always the last to find out? Yeah, we don't have them yet, but I was kind of debating getting some. So I don't know. I oh. might get one for just a couple of us here, and and just kind of like have a little fun with it. And who knows, maybe some listeners would want one down the road. Speaking of speaking of listeners. Yeah. I need help F1. I hope you were listening last week because you won contest number six. So you need to get in touch with us. So please tweet us or email us because I'm not sure if you've listened to previous episodes, but we do take your prize away if you don't contact us. Yeah, you basically have a month. <laughs> you have a month. But after a month, we give it to somebody else. Yeah, that's right. So please, uh, I need help F1. And if you missed it, you won. Yep. So Gmail us, tweet us, we w- give us your name, your address and tell us what book you want so we can and send it to you. Come on, man. Right. You won something. Yeah, I just hope that uh, I Need Help F1 isn't one of these guys or girls that is basically off the grid right now to avoid spoilers, and so they have distinctly not listened to the podcast. That would be so unfortunate. <laughs> well, you know what? We give them a month, so they, yep. they'll have a chance till after Batman v Superman comes out. Right, cool. So what's been going on with you, Tim? Um, well, I had a devastating ride home yesterday with my car as I was driving through the country from where I work. I was about 20 minutes away from home, and all of a sudden, my car just died. It, well, it just, it actually didn't die, but uh, it didn't go anymore. So basically my gears weren't working anymore. And I thought I threw out my clutch. Uh, luckily, it looks like it's probably just going to be like a CV joint, a much less expensive uh, repair than what I thought I was going to get yesterday. So, so that was not so great. On a brighter side, man, I love all the Young Justice love that we have been seeing on the net. Oh yeah. Hello, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we've actually, uh, both you and I put out a couple different tweets and we've gotten just a 
a ton of retweets and likes and that kind of thing. And and of course, it was like Greg Wiseman and, and Brandon Vietti, right? That oh my goodness, I actually I think Brandon Vietti got me got my tweet first, and then you were the one who let me know that Greg Wiseman retweeted both of us, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, so that's cool. I, I'm still getting like occasional likes and retweets. Of course, this is gonna be like this is gonna be like your serial tweet. It's gonna <laughs> go on forever. It might, it might. But uh, you know, and the other thing I forgot to mention while you were gone, we actually got a personal invite from Bill Ramey of Batman on Film, and he invited us to join the Batman podcast network that he's been putting together. And so I responded back to Bill and I said, well, you know, we're really not a Batman show, but he responded back that he still would want us because we still talk about Batman. So I'm like, hey, man, that's a great honor. And I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I love uh, Bill Ramey and the integrity and the respect that he's kind of garnered through the years. So it, like to me, it's an honor. Well, it was, I felt so guilty when you tweeted to tell me that news. I was watching Deadpool. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm in the wrong universe right now to yeah. get this news. <laughs> nice. And then one last thing before we kind of get onto the news, we have a ton of it coming, but this is a call and just kind of like let you know ahead of time that following Batman v Superman, probably about two weeks after the premiere, we are going to do an all listener Q&A show. So we want to get you guys thinking about it and just kind of think of the time frame here. This will be post BVS. So start thinking of any kind of questions you might want us to answer and send them to us either through Twitter or through email or however else you might want to do it. But just like our beginning of the year, all listener Q&A, we're going to do something very similar. So start thinking about that. It's like a quarterly thing now. Yeah. Well, it was too fun last time. Oh, yeah, it was. So let's get on to the news because Parker. (laughs) Oh, my God. J.K. Simmons cast as Commissioner Gordon. I want to give a shout out to our listeners because I got like three different tweets from three different listeners who like I was in the middle of class and my phone was like buzzing (laughs) off the hook. And I looked and of course, I just snuck a look and I was like, oh, dear God, please let this be. Please let this be, you know, not a rumor. Please let this be a rumor. And then I (laughs) and then I saw the tweet from Hollywood Reporter and I went, yes, yeah, this this is happening. Yeah, this is great. Now, actually, um, this was uh, I, I guess the news broke was broken by Rebecca Ford from The Hollywood Reporter. And yes, it was an exclusive. Yeah. So uh, basically, Ben Affleck is just finishing up a movie with J.K. Simmons. It's called The Accountant, and it's actually in post-production right now. And so, you know, I kind of wonder if maybe there wasn't some kind of like enticing going on there. Well, and let's also not forget that this is Academy Award winning J.K. Simmons for his performance last year in Whiplash. Yeah. And if you guys have not seen the movie Whiplash, you need to basically listen to the rest of this podcast and then put it down and go pick up Whiplash and watch it. It's probably one of the finest acting jobs I've ever seen of anyone. It's phenomenal. My teeth were on edge. Dean. I've never had a movie in memory that put my teeth on edge like that movie. It was so amazingly powerful. Yeah, not not quite my tempo. Oh, but it is. And I'm so (laughs) pumped that J.K. Simmons is going to be flipping Commissioner Gordon. That is so fantastic. Yeah, of course, you know, he played uh, J. Jonah Jameson in in the Sam Raimi movies, but he actually joins a long list of people that have played Commissioner Gordon now. Oh, I I know several of these. Lyle Talbot played uh, Commissioner Gordon in the 1949 Batman Robin serials. Mm -hmm. Of course, Neil Hamilton played Gordon in the 66 Batman TV show. Pat Hingle was in all the 90s Tim Burton Schumacher Batman films. Um, My personal favorite, Mm -hmm. Bob Hastings was the voice of Gordon in Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Later, uh, Mitch Pelagi of X-Files fame Mm -hmm. was the voice in The Batman. And then uh, we all know about Gary Oldman in the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Nolan. Who was excellent, by the way. He was excellent, yes. So, you know, JK, welcome to the DC Universe. We are more than happy to have you. Yeah, and uh, sorry you missed out on getting that photograph of (laughs) Spider-Man. So so, uh, kind of moving on now, he's going to be appearing apparently first in Justice League, although who knows, we may see him in Batman v Superman if they slip something in, but or maybe even 
uh, Suicide Squad, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. But there is some other Justice League news. Now, Jason Momoa, is he was heading somewhere, and he posted something on Instagram, and he basically sent out a little tease about Justice League, and he tagged his photo with, Justice League, here I come, and he said, hashtag Unite the Seven. So it kind of makes me wonder, and we'll talk about more of this later. We you know we remember we got that picture from Zack Snyder, where it, it was the first picture we had of Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and it was written on top of the photo, Unite the Seven. And we were thinking, you know, at the time, like maybe we'll get something every month, like it'll be another Justice League character that would say Unite the Seven. But we never got that. So it really makes me wonder if he is not the person that truly kind of like drives the formation of the Justice League. But so I don't know, it's just pure speculation at this point. Any thoughts on that, Scott? Uh, well, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, because with the Bereznikin uh, article last week saying that there wasn't going to be any Green Lantern in, until maybe Justice League Part Two, mm-hmm. it's like, is this idea of unite the seven is that like an ongoing thing or is there a secret seventh member that we have not been informed about yet that will be appearing because we've only got six mm-hmm. and um where's number seven yeah. so i'm 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 just it makes me suspicious but also very interested that they're not going to bring the entire like the magnificent seven right. together at the very beginning i'm just i'm curious about where that's going especially since momoa is continuing that unite the seven tag. Right, right. So anyway, I, I just love it. Just small little hint, but man, it's just like the anticipation, you know, that this is about ready to start happening. And hopefully, you know, even though it's going to be over in England, we're going to be filming us probably in a lot of studio work is, itself. But, you know, just little things like here and there, hopefully we start getting little bits and pieces. It, it just, it's just going to be so fun, you know, especially following Batman v Superman to start seeing little bits and pieces from possibly the set of Justice League. I'm just, <laughs> I just cannot wait to, you know, start seeing something. Yeah, but now we need to delve into that movie that's two weeks away, Tim. Yeah, my big fat Greek wedding too. Oh, shut up. <laughs> um, now, what we have, however, is the fact that uh, Cavill, Affleck, and Schneider are in China as of today. Right. Because the press tour has begun. Yes, it has. And now, I don't have any more details than that, but I do know that since China is such a big market that, mm-hmm. you know, they're in China and they've got the ball rolling. So they're, they got two weeks to work their way all the way back to New York for the premiere here in the States. Yeah. Now, I, I did see a little bit of a video of a it looked like a little press conference that they were having and uh, they were up there and it was uh, Zack Snyder with Cavill and Affleck and uh, the little bits that we saw it was pretty much some of the same things that they're always saying but I would say they they did look a little tired <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't think they're quite on the right time zone yet over there oh man now you've you're the one who let me know that Bill Ramey has already gotten some reactions right. to Batman v Superman so how about you tell our listeners about all that yeah so Bill Ramey he's always very cautious and careful not to put anything spoilerish out there. And uh, he has an associate or a friend or somebody that he knows that has actually had a chance to actually see the film. And so he told this person, you know, I don't really want anything spoilers, but he did have a few questions and they were kind of like high level, just reactions to the film. And I want to go ahead and read off a few of these and you can actually follow up at, at Bill's website to kind of get the rest of them. But a few of these are, are pretty fun to read and it's it's real encouraging. So I, I want to make sure I pass it on to you guys. The first one that uh, this person who saw the film said was Ben Affleck as Batman and Bruce Wayne and Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor are our standouts in the film. And we've heard that. That's been a mantra that we've heard over and over again. Right. Like everyone is saying that. Right. Yeah. So that's great. These I mean, these are like we said last week. These are the two guys that people tended to want to jump on and criticize. So this is great news. Um, the second one was that Batman is brutal and doesn't hold back, which is great. I like that. Well, and, the, and there's 45 seconds from the <laughs> final trailer. Like, yep. Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. So 
So again, that kind of confirms what we definitely saw in the final trailer. The portrayal of Lex is a very modern take on the character. He's completely two-faced and the trailers do not do him any justice. And that's what we've been saying, like as we've seen every trailer, especially as I have personally like come around on Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. I've been saying that I bet you that what we're seeing in the trailer is not what we're really going to see in the movie. Right. And we've been saying all along that uh, very distinctly, it seemed like Terrio and, and Snyder have really tried to give out this idea that everyone's got, you know, a second personality or a second persona. And, uh, you know, obviously Bruce Wayne and Batman, Superman and Clark Kent. So we always felt like the same had to play with Lex. And and this this seems to confirm that, which is great. I, I want to see this very scary, devious guy behind the scenes, you know, outside of the public face. The next thing we had was that Gal Gadot is great and her role is actually quite small. No, I think that's just about the fact that we, we do have a two and a half hour movie and I'm right. sure that what they mean by quite small is just she doesn't get that much screen time comparatively. Right. And Snyder has said that. And people, Snyder has tried to prepare people for she's not really in this movie that much. Right. I mean, they've always said that, you know, she's more than a cameo. So, you know, it's just going to be a small role. But I, I think this sounds like it's going to set up very well for you know her solo movie here next year. Um, next thing was that Superman does Superman things. So I think this directly goes at what some of the criticisms were for Man of Steel that basically they didn't see Superman being Superman. So it looks like they're going to kind of go out of their way to, to really kind of show off, you know, all the, the great things that Superman, you know, is able to do and, and probably some of the things where he's not able to do it. He's not able to save everybody. This next one's very interesting to me. All references to future Justice League characters are handled very well and the film doesn't feel crammed or rushed. The two and a half hours flew by. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in that because I'm not a person, I like long movies, but mm-hmm. to to make two and a half hours move, yeah. that's an impressive feat and I will be very interested to see how that is handled. Right. Yeah, me too. And this this one got, these next two are very related to each other and right. so uh, it was really weird. The film is really dark. Mm-hmm. Maybe even darker than Chris Nolan's Batman films. It's definitely darker than Man of Steel. It's closer to Watchmen than the Dark Knight trilogy or Man of Steel. That's interesting. That is interesting. But of course, once again, that then makes more sense. The fact that we're getting a R-rated director's cut Blu-ray. Right, right. So, and I was kind of curious at first whether they meant like it was dark as in like it was visually dark <laughs> or as in it's it's dark as in its tone. And so that is very interesting. But that also ties back into what Bresnikan said in his little bullet point uh, interview, uh, bullet point review last week, which is if you're not, if the dark and gritty thing's not your deal, you probably want to skip this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't skip it. Just at least go see it at least once. <laughs> well, that's what we would say. Right, right. So anyway, um, there's a few other comments. Uh, we're not going to read them all here, but uh, definitely go check out Bill's article over on BatmanOnFilm.com. Now, we actually got some of the viral stuff with Lex Luthor going live this past week. So the LexCorp uh, website actually updated it. It pointed you to a link that was uh, www.lex-os.io. And if you actually go to that, it puts up a message here that says, you know, help us build a more human system. And basically you become the so-called beta tester to kind of, you know, help basically drive uh, some AI development here. And uh, so what it consists of, there's like 22 different puzzles and you, you're able to get through the first five puzzles. And once you do that, you can get a level one badge. And then at that point, it says the rest of the puzzles will be unlocked at a later date and come back and continue at that time. So I just checked it before we started recording it and you can still only get the first five out of 22 puzzles. Have you done that yet, Scott? No, uh, actually, and I was going to ask you, when have you just been checking it out regularly or did you get an email update? Because I had, until I saw your Twitter about your badge, I yeah. had no idea that this had updated. Yeah, I actually saw it 
from one of the Twitter people I follow. I think he had actually posted something and he it showed a badge. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And I looked around and it wasn't being reported anywhere. So he was like one of the first ones to actually see it. So, um, okay. yeah, so that from there, I actually uh, found the website. Interesting. They're being very subtle with this whole Lex OS thing. Yeah, they really are. I, I was, I'm actually quite surprised that it's taken up until like a couple of weeks before that we're starting to get this. Like when that first kind of made a splash towards the end of last year, I thought for sure we would, it would really be ramping up much earlier this year. But yeah, because it was at New York Comic Con, really. Right. I thought yeah. That it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got some more Omaze videos. Yeah. This one was it's great. It's just hilarious. <laughs> How about you play that for us, Tim? Yeah. Let's, let's give this a roll. Ben Affleck here, and we're offering you the chance to join me and Henry Cavill at the world premiere of Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. We'll fly you out, you'll hang with us at the premiere, and we'll each be offering additional experiences to make it even better. All to benefit three great causes. And I'm offering the chance to meet me and ride in the Batmobile, the most iconic vehicle in all of the DC Universe. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of another character that needs a vehicle to get around. Um, any superheroes that need a vehicle? Uh, Green Lantern? No, no, no vehicle. Flash? No, no vehicle. Aquaman? Should I keep going? No, I'm not Superman. I'm just a mild-mannered journalist who happens to look identical to the most recognizable man in the world. The hair is different too. Okay, does anybody else find these two insufferable? When you are done babysitting those two before the premiere, you can come hang out with me. I will introduce you to the other cast. Then we could photobomb Henry and Ben on the red carpet. Wait, I, I didn't agree to that. Yeah, right, people don't agree to photobombs. That's the, that's the whole point. So anyway, click the button and enter. So enter now for a chance to take a spin in the Batmobile. Just go to amaze.com forward slash Batman. Or amaze.com slash Superman. Or just click the bat signal here. Or even better, Click the Superman shield here. Unbelievable. Okay, so to support these three great causes, please go to omaze.com slash Batman v Superman and enter now. And thank you so much for your support. And hopefully, we'll see you soon. In fairness, you are the perfect Batman. Tall, dark, handsome, you never stop brooding. All right. This is a great one. This is basically a send off, basically one last appeal from uh, Ben and Henry and also Jesse to, you know, also kind of reach out and, and try to do something to donate to these three different causes here. But I, I love this video. I mean, Henry just ripping on Ben because he needs a vehicle to get around. And that 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 is just absolutely priceless. And you've got to watch the video. I mean, the audio is hilarious, but you've just got to watch the video, especially for Ben Affleck's just deadpan <laughs> look. He's just like, what? Glasses? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, it's just, they are, he is selling it. I'm going to go back to the comment I made last week. Affleck is having so much fun mm -hmm. promoting this movie. Absolutely. Yep. And so that just makes me even more excited to see Batfleck in action. Yeah. Well, and then this actually uh, spilled out onto the Facebook uh, accounts between Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. And Henry Cavill made a little comment, I guess, to Ben Affleck. And he says, you almost look like a man who makes good decisions wearing those glasses. And then Ben Affleck responded back. And he says, this coming from the guy who destroyed half of Metropolis. 
Metropolis. And I didn't see any responses after that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, you have a couple days left to go ahead and uh, enter this basically contest or at least uh, enter this thing where you can actually, you know, possibly win these rewards to actually go to the premiere. Uh, so it's either ending Monday or Tuesday. I'm not entirely sure exactly what the date is, but you can go to this website and check out the, the opportunities and, and you can donate at www.omaze.com. That's O-M-A-Z-E. And it's slash Batman or you can go slash Superman. Go check it out. Well, Tim, did you know that Barnes Noble is having a Batman v Superman day? I did. I did. I, I'm so excited for this. Now, a disclaimer, I was an employee of Barnes Noble for nine years, so I'm a little biased here. But uh, on Saturday, March 19th, so that's a week from now at 7 p.m., every Barnes Noble store nationwide will host a Batman v Superman trivia event that is sponsored by DC Entertainment. Mm -hmm. Now, Barnes Noble has done this like they've done every Batman day. Right. Uh, they sometimes do DC Comics days during the summer around Comic-Con time. So this is nothing new that Barnes & Noble does this. Yeah. And so you really just need to check with your local Barnes & Noble to see are they participating in the event? To what extent are they going to participate? Because really the corporate just sends each store like a package and it really is up to each individual store to kind of generate their own event based on what materials get sent to them. Okay. So I checked with my old store in here in Birmingham, we have two. So I just checked the one that I worked at and they're having the event. They've got an employee who's like a big, big geek, basically is like what I would have been if I was still working there. And they're doing costumes. They're doing the trivia contest. They're doing the works. And what as normally happens, you know, there's going to be giveaways where uh, there's prizes that they are sent to every store. And then there's the bigger prizes that is sort of a nationwide contest. And you enter for a chance to win uh, the nationwide prize, which apparently is a daily planet replica and a set of three movie posters. Nice. And so I'm wondering what those posters are. I'm hoping it's like the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, like triptych poster. Oh, that'd be nice. That's what I would want. Yeah. Yeah. I checked uh, my store here in Mishwalk, Indiana as well. And and they're going to be actually be holding an event. And he said it's going to last about an hour. So I'm going to take my six-year-old daughter up to there for that. I think she'll have a lot of fun with that. She loves going to that store. So anyway, check on your local Barnes and Noble and see if you can head out there on the 19th. Now, Scott, we need to get to a lot of these great articles. There was a lot of great interviews that came out this week. Let's start with this first one. This actually is an article written by Ben Fritz from the Wall Street Journal. And he actually interviewed, it was, you know, Snyder and Chuck Rovin, uh, Greg Silverman, and actually Chris Terrio. And then we're going to get to, there was a there was an interview just with Chris Terrio that was published separately. So right. we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. So I'm going to run through this real quick. Uh, there was a, I, I love this little quote that we got from Chuck Rovin, of course, executive producer on Batman v Superman. And he ha had three simple words to describe Terrio. And he described Terrio as brilliant, brilliant, complicated. <laughs> so, which I love. I, I love the idea because, I mean, that's always been my interpretation or my impression of Terrio was like, you know, I, I thought always thought his dialogue and his thoughtfulness that he put into his, his words were just absolutely brilliant, but very complex. And so I think that perfectly summed it up. And then I guess uh, Terrio, in, at least in this first article, had given some words to Fritz on this. And he said, given the scale of this film, you would think that this whole thing has a corporate stench, you know, talking about Batman v Superman. But he says, with the way it actually worked out, there was all this quality of, I cannot believe they are letting us do this. 
So this, again, goes back to the reputation that uh, Warner Brothers has really kind of developed for themselves of, of being the most accommodating studio to filmmakers. Well, especially filmmakers who have a proven track record. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, that and I think that's the thing. You 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 earn your you earn even more freedom. I think Warner Brothers seems to like, OK, do your thing. And then if what your if your thing is successful, then like and keep on doing it. Have fun. Yeah. And remember this past year, Warner Brothers really kind of went out on a limb and let George Miller make Mad Max Fury Road, which, you know, probably still did not make, you know, any real significant profit, if at all. But it was definitely a groundbreaking film that was obviously up for a ton of awards. And uh, of course, they've been working with Zack Snyder for about 10 years here. You know, they let him do obviously Man of Steel and 300, of course, and even let him do his little pet project Sucker Punch. So so anyway, and then lastly on this, we, Greg Silverman explained that the way they like it is they want all their filmmakers to communicate with each other. You know, this, this is a little bit different than, than say, Marvel Studios where it seems like they have a council that really kind of uh, dictates a lot more. In this case, they, again, give a lot more freedom to the filmmakers. And he says, if you have a studio dictating what you're going to be in six or seven years, he's, he felt like the movies will lose some of their magic. And so he, he said that's something that Warner Brothers really doesn't want to do. Now, this Chris Terrio interview that was also written by Ben Fritz, I have to admit, you know, you're the one who's been having the serious man crush on Chris Terrio yep. since this show started. Definitely. And um, I saw Argo and I enjoyed Argo, but I, you know, Chris Terrio was not exactly a name that like stood out to me. Mm -hmm. But I have to say this interview in Wall Street Journal went a long way to really sort of um, bring him close to my heart. I thought mm -hmm. it was very interesting that he says that the first movie he ever saw was Superman 2. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, not bad. And he said he almost drowned in a pool at the age of four because he was playing Aquaman. <laughs> and the reason this was interesting to me, to me was because everyone kept on talking, Chris Terrio's not a comic book guy. Yep. Chris Terrio's not a comic book guy. He's he's a serious screenwriter. Right. But then this interview's like, but he has a love for the genre. And that's never come out in any interview up until this point, which I enjoyed. Yeah, and he basically said he went away from comics in his life, but he really kind of stayed on top of superhero movies. Yeah, and then of course he said that the ones that really kind of grabbed his attention, almost like everybody, was the Nolan Dark Knight films. So, and, you know, I don't know. Um, it's, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm almost left speechless because this is not the Terrio that I've kind of, like everyone's talked up. This guy in this interview came across so much more like one of us. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't come across as, as like this incredible Academy Award winning screenwriter. Yeah. It was like, dude, I'm a fan and now I get to write this stuff. Yeah. Well, and the thing I loved about it is he he kind of really went on to talk about how he loved the Dark Knight trilogy so much. And then he said he really had to stop watching those films because he found himself rewriting them. Like not as much because they were bad, but just because he was so intrigued by them that he just wanted to just kind of like add his flavor to it. And uh, so I, I thought that was that was really cool that that's like his that's really his favorite. And this was the thing, and, th and this is going to come back later in another interview with Zack Snyder, but apparently he, like, went, like, Scrooge McDuck swimming in his <laughs> giant vault of money. He apparently just dived into DC Comics and just tried to read as much as he could. And it shows because, I mean, he starts name-dropping like Frank Miller. Yeah. And of course, we all know how much Dark Knight Returns influences this film. But he also calls out Grant Morrison about how he asks all those philosophical questions, how Grant Morrison has very smart writing. And it's just so obvious that at least if Terrio didn't know these people for he sure knows who to name drop in this article to get people like us going okay check you, you named Frank Miller yep. check you named Grant Morrison okay you're you're checking off the right names right now right definitely and you know he's probably like fed a, a ton of stuff to read here but I mean I really I was really kind of taken aback like I did not picture Chris Terrio as being somebody that was really going to really really dive into the source material and he really kind of made a point that he really wanted to, to really learn as much as possible and we'll find out more later on Zack Snyder had some comments about that but I think 
uh, and, and he'll talk about this at the end of the article, but the fact is I was surprised when I found out that he was writing Justice League Part 1. And so I think that just makes more sense. That if he's going to go from Batman v Superman to handling the entire Justice League, he's going to have to read quite a bit to right. get a grasp on. You know, he, it's not just Batman and Superman. He's yeah. got to get Flash and Cyborg and Wonder Woman and Aquaman. So once again, my respect for him grew. My heart grew three sizes today as I read this interview because mm-hmm. it was like, wow, you've you're not joking around. You're you're showing some respect to us comic book fans. So I'll let you continue because this is your guy, Tim. Oh, OK, well, I mean, he, he kind of went on to kind of really talk about what was really the root of the BVS conflict here. And, and he kind of goes on. He says, like in Western literature, there tends to be a moment in any kind of story where there's a before and then there's a point where everything fell. And he says, really, that brings up questions about Superman. He began to really think of Superman and Batman that they really occupy really different parts of the really mythic imagination is the way he described it. And he says, look, in superhero stories, he kind of realized that Batman is Pluto, really the god of the underworld, and that Superman is Apollo, god of the sky. And he says that's where it really began to really interest him. He says their conflict is not really just due to manipulation, but it's because of their very existence with each other. He says, and really at the end, there's a common humanity, which he thinks that they discover at a certain moment in the film. And I think that's probably the moment where they kind of realize that they're on the same side, that, you know, that there is this really common ground that we have here. And he went on to say, like, after Man of Steel, he didn't want to have this moment where you say that, you know, Batman exists in this world. And but we forgot to tell you, uh, no, he's really been here the whole time. And then he, he went on to really talk about Diana Prince. He says he thought it would be better if we really kind of started off getting to know her as a civilian first and then really kind of involving her in, a, in the plot in a way that really kind of made it feel like a thriller. So and it seems like that's some of the stuff we had heard before that it seemed like both her and Bruce Wayne have this thing where they're trying to get after some information from LexCorp. And so it sounds like he kind of painted this little arc of the story as a thriller. And then then towards the end, he said that then that builds up the fun when we finally reveal her as Wonder Woman. It's like, we all know she's Wonder Woman, but I felt like he was kind of like, he was having the, I'm just going to tease you that you know who this is, but I'm not going to let you see who it is (laughs) until like the very end. So I'm wondering if those reveals of her in her costume, because every time we see her in her costume is during the Doomsday fight. Right. So I'm wondering if that is she with you? I thought she was with you scene. It's just that it's that stand up and cheer. It's like that's when we finally see her as Wonder yeah, Woman. Yeah, you build up this anticipation all throughout the film and you finally get the payoff. Yeah, I and of course I'm just so I, I'm so ready for me to flip my lid at that <laughs> moment in the movie. Yeah. Well, tell us about like um, really kind of how he came about realizing that he needed to script Justice League. Well, it was interesting because he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. It shows a little bit of humility. Like, I, I don't, that's not my thing. I, how am I supposed to do that? But then he he thought of Batman v Superman as the middle of a trilogy. He mm-hmm. said, Batman v Superman is the Empire Strikes Back. It is the two towers. Mm-hmm. If you, th- in, in his mind, the, the through line of the story is Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and then Justice League. Right. Uh, which is kind of funny. You know, A New Hope, mm-hmm. Man of Steel, you know, S stands for hope. Yep. You get Batman v Superman, the dark film, right. which would be your Empire Strikes Back. And then you get your Return of the Jedi, the good guys win, and then that's your Justice League. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the good guys come together and they defeat some great, um, you know, great evil. And he says, Justice League is not going to be dark. It's mm-hmm. going to be quite, in his words, tonal. It, it will be tonally not quite as dark as Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. And he said, from that point of view, I felt compelled to go back and try to lift us and myself into a different tonal place. Yeah. I think when you write a darker film, sometimes you want to redeem it all a bit. Yeah. So he intentionally wanted Justice League 
League to be, you know, me, I'm not sure if a bright, happy movie, but definitely we're not just going to continue down a spiral of the dark and gritty movies. Right. Well, and that's the whole point of the Justice League is really the Justice League is supposed to be something that kind of provides a bigger hope to humanity. And, and I like the idea that, you know, you, you kind of start off in a really kind of a dark place and that kind of provides the need for a Justice League. And uh, it seems like that's exactly where his mindset is on this as well. And he, and he also said that, you know, obviously because they've started filming, part one is written, but he is not committed to writing part two. Right. Well, he's actually actually moved on to working on a couple of the things right now. Apparently he's doing some kind of Netflix series of some sort. And then he's also writing some play. So it's actually, he's kind of like moving on. But I, I wonder if, you know, it seems like when he talks about Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and Justice League Part 1 as being kind of a trilogy, I kind of wonder if maybe that that mindset has changed a little bit amongst the DC Films crew that basically they can, they kind of see this as like one part. And maybe what they originally had envisioned as like a Justice League Part 1 and Part 2, maybe they kind of see more of a separation between the two. Because, you know, we'd also heard rumors early on that they were going to try to film both of them back to back. And we've since heard that that's not the case anymore. So so maybe it's kind of a logical ending point of really the first phase of this. I was wondering, like, are, are we going to go, like, are we, the DC podcast, are we going to start using, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe terms to say, like, <laughs> like Justice League is the end of phase one yep. with with your um, with your Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman mixed in there? Mm-hmm. And then what's the, is, is Aquaman the next movie after Justice League Part 1 currently on the slate? Yeah, it's Aquaman and then Flash. Okay, then that maybe that become you know, is that's the beginning of phase two. Right. That ends with, because, you know, in Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers movies always end, almost seem to always end a phase. So maybe for us, it's like Justice League movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So I don't know. Of course, they'll have to come up with a different term because we can't we can't use the same language. <laughs> so No, we cannot. Yeah, we got to be very careful to keep that separate. But I really like some of this stuff. And I, and I guarantee you probably know this stuff better than me. But when he kind of talked about how he was preparing for Justice League, there's some really telling stuff here that Chris Terrio said. Now, he had mentioned that in preparing for, you know, Justice League, he was studying things like, you know, in, in any given day, he would be reading about like red and blue shifts in physics. And I think that was in reference to, you know, understanding the Flash. Right. But then he also, and I'll probably butcher these names, but Diodorus in Sicily, in his account of the war between the Amazons and the Atlanteans. I've actually never read this. And now I, now I want to. It's like, where is this? What book is this in? And may I read it now, please? So I found that real interesting that he's studying something along those lines. So to me, that's very telling. Amazons and Atlanteans. And then the third thing he said here was that he was also looking into deep sea biology and what kind of life plausibly might be in the Mariana Trench down in the ocean. And that kind of reminds me of like Jeff John's first arc on Aquaman, the new 52 right. with the with those creatures. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a while ago there was a rumor that Just League Part 1 was going to be dealing with Darkseid. And of course, you know, we've had certainly teases towards that. But I wonder if perhaps maybe that kind of encounter, even though it's teasing Batman v Superman, it, it may happen in Just League Part 2. And so maybe we have this little kind of like, you know, kind of a lead in film before the really big event. You know, maybe we'll see something like a Throne of Atlantis or maybe just some kind of a Atlantis war. And maybe maybe this kind of ties into the thing that Momoa had tweeted out, Unite the Seven, that Zach had tweeted out quite a while ago. Well, it goes back with the rumor that, you know, Mera is going to get introduced in the Justice League film before the Aquaman film. Right. So so anyway, so I'm, I'm beginning to think that this was pretty telling what Chris had said here that, you know, I, it seems to me that there's going to be a much greater story going on with the Atlanteans in the Justice League film, which I think would be great. And this is interesting. He said, if you told me the most rigorous dramaturgical and intellectual product of my life would be superhero movies, 
movies, I would say you were crazy, <laughs> which I loved. It's like, yeah. I am taking this seriously. And then he goes into his next comment that was, quote, I felt I owed the fan base all of my body and soul for two years because anything less wouldn't have been appreciating the opportunity I had. Yes. Bravo, Mysterio. Yeah. Bravo. So he he is like he is letting us know this. I mean, genuinely letting us know how much he appreciated this opportunity. I mean, let's face it. He, he did Argo. But to get an opportunity to do such a huge film like Batman v Superman or Justice League, I mean, how often does a screenwriter get that opportunity? And despite his inclinations to do something a lot more literary, he basically brought that to take all this mythos that goes with uh, especially these DC characters. And it looks to be that he's really just had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, he's now considering his most rigorous product of his life, which I think is great. Now, there was this LA Times interview that happened with the uh, Affleck Cavill and Snyder. And we're just going to hit a few highlights, especially stuff that Snyder and Affleck said. Mm -hmm. But I have to I have to <laughs> appreciate this first one, especially, you know, our sort of policy on the show that Snyder, his comments about Wild Rivers and scrutiny about the film. And he basically just sums it up with, thank God they're talking about the movie. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> his idea was like, sure, go ahead. Be insane. At least, you're t at least you care enough to talk about my film. Yeah, he's, he's basically they tune it out, you know, when they hear all these crazy rumors. But he just goes, when it's really, really dumb, he goes, OK, someone needs to stomp this rumor because it's just stupid. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, But it, it, I like the fact that that uh, Snyder's taking the there's no such there's no such thing as bad press. Right. Yeah. If people are talking about this movie, then they're thinking about the movie. They haven't forgotten about it. So I think that's I think that's a very sort of um, enlightened way to approach it. And that's the great thing, too. I mean, we're still talking about Man of Steel after three years. <laughs> so now Affleck had some interesting comments to say about playing Batman. I know that you, Tim, were it really spoke to you. So how mm -hmm. about you kind of lead us off on that topic? Yeah, I mean, he says, you know, obviously he's filling the same shoes that a lot of other actors have held in the past. And he says, you don't really want to go out and do what these past actors did because, you know, you're just never really going to live up to what they did exactly. And he says, really, the idea is you need to really kind of come in and do something different that also would exist really consistent with the canon and, you know, what would still be considered Batman. And he really said he liked Zack's vision of it. And it's really sort of an existential Batman. You know, he's he, the way he describes Batman. He's, he's a guy who's not actually in the throes of being Batman, but he's kind of really looking back and asking himself, really, was it worth it? And, um, you know, so he's going to be playing a, a grain Batman who's really more of a slugger than what we've seen in the past. And he's just a man who's, you know, he's actually more of a man at this point because he's he tends to be a little bit more vulnerable because of the experiences he's had. I mean, he's, he's a Batman, you know, really kind of at the middle of his career at this point. And uh, he really goes on to say that this Batman that he's playing is feeding some kind of hole inside of him. And it's it's like, you know, he's doing things like burning brands in the criminals at night and going to these underground fights and, uh, you know, and having different women in his bed and for some random encounter, which to me, that's not, not inconsistent with any other version we've seen. <laughs> so but I remember the thing about with the, the going to the underground fights. I remember there being a set where it was uh, rumored that he was going to some underground, uh, some kind of boxing match of some sort. And uh, that's the last I had heard of it. But the fact that he mentions this, I think we're going to see something like that in this movie for sure. I'm, I'm sorry, Tim. 
the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about <laughs> Fight Club. <laughs> He's talking about it, so I can talk about it. W- what would Tyler Durden do? <laughs> you do a lot of things we can't really say on this podcast. <laughs> That's true. Um, I love this because this is so, once again, the Dark Knight Returns influence keeps on coming in because right. I think about the Bruce Wayne from Dark Knight Returns where he's racing fast cars and he's drinking more alcohol than the yes, human body should exactly. you know, possibly consume. And it's just this man who has given up. Now, this is interesting because unlike Dark Knight Returns, this Bruce Wayne is still Batman. Yeah, he's still functioning, but not in a healthy way. Right. You know, he's he's Batman, but he's not the Batman he used to be. Yeah, he's somewhat broken. Yes. And I think that's very, very interesting because, you know, you would think Batman, I think we'd all say Batman's broken anyway, but right. he, he's even more broken now, 20 years on. So, oh, I just, I'm just, I'm just still so excited. Yeah. And just like with Dark Knight Returns, there he needed something that kind of got his juices flowing again. And in this case, it was, it was Superman. And that's what kind of gets his, gets his motivation again, which we've seen in the trailers. You see him kind of like having that little Rocky moment where he wants to get back into shape and all that. And yeah, because he knows, because he's no, he knows he's not where he needs to be. Right. Right. So he is Batman, but he's not the Batman. Yeah. When I like this part where, you know, uh, Zack Snyder actually had a quote in here and it was kind of like in reference to the success of Deadpool and Snyder went on and talked about a conversation they had with Christopher Nolan, of course, uh, from the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, He actually, at that time, Chris Nolan had told Zack Snyder that he made Watchmen too early, that basically the world just wasn't ready for that type of film yet. And really the, that the viewing audience had to kind of like slowly be conditioned and moved into this comic book culture, really kind of as a way of exploring why uh, these heroes exist. And Snyder said, look, this Deadpool really shows that audience has now gotten to the point where they can understand the satire of the genre. Which is interesting because, you know, while while Deadpool is a satire of the genre, Watchmen was a deconstruction of the genre. Right. But and I think I think Chris Nolan was right. We hadn't gotten to a point yet where the general audience understood comic books enough or just just had a had a feel for what the genre was. Because right. You can't de- you can't deconstruct the genre until you know what the genre is. Right. You know, you know, you can't take something apart until you know how it works. Right. Right. And so now there are there's enough people who get what a real comic book movie is mm-hmm. not what because before Watchmen, there there were very few examples of true comic book films mm-hmm. in, you know, you know, you had the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies that were like comic books on screen. But except for that, everything else was just an adaptation right. that didn't quite feel like a comic book. Now, I'm trying to remember when Watchmen came out, had we got had we gotten Batman Begins yet? Uh no. Yeah, that was before Batman Begins. It was like the same time. So, you know, we're we're still not in that era yet where, and we're definitely, you know, pre-Iron Man. Right. Where we were getting like flat out comic book movies. Right. The way they're supposed to be, in my yep. opinion. Yep. So, interesting. I I, I'm, I hope this makes people go back and watch Watchmen because it was a good movie, by the way. Yeah. Let's close out this article. Oh, definitely. Um, Affleck was even talking about uh, the DCEU going forward and how, <laughs> I love this comment, um, Warner Brothers has already won. Yeah. Because they have all these properties. That's just money in the bank. Right. Waiting to be made. Yeah. And he says, really, they're going to make these movies regardless of how any of them perform because Affleck says, is every DC movie going to be great and successful? And he says, no, not necessarily. And, you know, he says, yeah, it'd be great if BVS worked for them. You know, obviously Warner Brothers wants that. But he says, if, if any one of these movies don't work, it doesn't mean that it's all going to go away. And he referenced Green Lantern. He says, you know, Green Lantern did not work, but Green Lantern is coming back. 
and he says this time around it definitely will work for him and uh you know he goes on to say look you know zach of course invested two years of his life into this movie and you know uh, ben says look i put in months and months and you know so he says yeah we are all truly deeply invested in this movie we want it to be good and he goes you know we want to be proud of it and i like how he kind of entered he says i want to make a movie that my kids think is cool it's really it's not a matter of them just coming in and punching the corporate clock they they really have a vested interest in this and this is the comment that really ties back into the comments i've been saying for the last two weeks which is affleck has been enjoying uh promoting this film right and i think it's because he thinks it's a cool movie Hmm. and he thinks other people are going to think it's a cool movie and i think he really enjoyed playing batman yeah let's move on there's a great article by gil pringle in filming and this was an interview that uh, gil did with Zack snyder and in this thing there's just a lot of really cool things there's a lot in here we want to talk about but uh, we'll just kind of lead off with this first one you kind of snyder went back and kind of talked about how the idea of a conflict between batman and superman came about and we've heard parts of this before and he says you know really the genesis of this was when at the end of the movie in man of steel they had kind of thrown around the idea like what if at the end of it you know we saw kryptonite being delivered to wayne manor and then that was the last shot oh my god that would have been the greatest after credit <laughs> scene ever <laughs> yeah that would have been great but apparently like everybody that was part of like you know trying to plan out the next the, at that time the sequel to man of steel they said "Ooh, now that is interesting and he says you know the problem is like once you start talking about batman it's it's hard to come up with a better idea than that and that just really you know like once batman was on the table like they couldn't like nothing else could be considered at that point yeah because he said that there's no other guy that superman should fight that's better than batman it's like it's like batman's the trump card once you say batman you're like okay batman wins yeah so at that point they really kind of started work on trying to figure out what the philosophical oppositional stances would be that would really kind of thrust these two into conflict and you know he said you know what they realized is that the fun part of this was going to be that they immediately knew that they weren't going to get along right out of the gate which is very which is a very frank miller mindset because frank miller was that one who said why would these two like each other Mm -hmm. i mean the and this is an interesting part that i thought was the idea that the potential abuse batman's idea that the potential abuse of his power is staggering right and that's all batman thinks about Mm -hmm. is is the potential there doesn't mean doesn't matter what superman's actually going to do it or not he could do it and that's what makes him a threat right and and he really kind of described that you know batman is basically an anarchist that would not want such a potential power out there that could be abused and uh, he says you know just knowing this it was basically a really easy fire to really stoke between batman and superman so then also in this article i guess apparently snyder had talked briefly about possibly casting Christian Bale in Batman v Superman. I guess the reason was that he really wanted to hire Christian Bale to play another part to make it really obvious that they were different characters from the Christopher Nolan films. So, which to me, it's like, I I think the audience is a lot smarter than that. So I I don't think he ever needed to do this, but it would have been kind of interesting to see Christian Bale in this film. What what role do you think he could have possibly played? Yeah. Um, You know, he should have been a a reporter at the Daily Planet. (laughs) Just just the guy who sits behind Clark's desk. Yeah, something really small. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also like the fact that Zack Snyder um, talked about the respect yeah. that, ben, that Ben Affleck gave him, which I think is incredible because Ben Affleck is a critically acclaimed director. While not a Academy Award award-winning director, he has an Academy Award-winning film, and yet uh, he accepted his position as an actor. And apparently, when it was when he was working with Snyder, it was like, "Yes, sir, boss. What do you need, boss?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and when Snyder would try to tell him stuff, he would be like, "I don't know what you're doing here. So you're gonna have to tell me, you know, <laughs> right? You're the director. I'm the actor. Tell yeah. me what to do." Which I don't know. I, you know, it's so weird to think of somebody uh, re- being.
being the professional to go, I'm not in the director's shoes, so I don't have my director hat on. I don't have my director mindset on. I have my acting shoes on. And you're the director, so even though I'm a director in my own right, I'm not directing right now, so you tell me what to do. Well, we did hear before as well that Ben was really interested in trying to learn how to make such a huge film like this because this was something completely foreign to him. He like he wouldn't even know where to begin to do such a large production and that he was really kind of taken aback about how things were filmed so much out of order, basically out of the necessity of doing such a complicated production. And I, I think at the time, Ben had said so many of his films were kind of shot linearly. Yeah, and once again, that just sort of fed the flames of, is he going to direct his own Batman film, which, you know, I think we all would think would be incredible. So <laughs> it's just, it's once again, the idea of that I'm a journeyman, uh, I'm a working stiff. I'm going to I'm going to learn what I can while I'm at the feet of somebody who does this and does it well. Well, and then Snyder actually went on, of course, to talk about Chris Terrio some more. And, you know, it goes on to say the things that we just love hearing about this. And, you know, he said Terrio is amazing and that they really had this great, amazing collaboration with each other. And, uh, you know, he goes on to say that, you know, Chris is, of course, super smart and he does a ton of research, which we got a little more insight into that today. And uh, he said he really knows what's going on, uh, that he's not... Kind Kind of writing this from uh, from a high level, like he's really dug into the details here. I love these quotes. Like I'll say, "Let's not do this," and he'll be like, "But in such and such comic book, they did that." Yeah, and it was just that was so funny because he said at the beginning, it was like, "Screw those comic books. We'll make it awesome and more literary." <laughs> Which that's the version of Terrio that I was right led to believe this movie was going to be. And I love the fact that it was like over the course of the film, he was like, "But you know, um, in issue number you know one ninety nine, <laughs> uh, they totally like did that." And right. and, I, and that I could see him. Being like the comic book guy from the Simpsons. And yeah. I think that's hilarious. Well, and I love that. I mean, so like he kind of like thought he was kind of above it at first, or at least that's the impression that I think we all had that it was just going to kind of do his normal thing. But then he really, once he kind of dug into it, he realized there was so much great mythology there and so many possibilities. I mean, it's very kind of like, kind of like Greek God kind of epic, you know, when dealing with these DC characters. And, and so I, I love that. I love the fact that he really, really kind of immersed himself in it. Well, and then Zack Snyder also went on to say that he knew that Justice League was going to come soon after Batman v Superman. Right. So they were very intentional in Batman v Superman on laying the groundwork for a Justice League film. And he says, you'll see that layer. It's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's like right there. Yep, there's a second little, layer coming. There's a second layer coming. It's, you know, we're not going to give it to you completely, but if you know about Justice League, there's a little something extra for you in the film. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. He said, we'll slowly introduce the other characters and how they play and what What's their purpose and where they are in the world, which I think goes back to our the comments earlier in the podcast about how they do introduce the characters in a very good way and mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel crammed and they all seem to have room to breathe in this movie. Yeah. And he said, you know, he really want, kind of went out of their way when they made Batman v Superman to, to make sure that this film was going to imbue a, a sense of meaning beyond the comic book world to the viewing audience. He says Justice League is going to be the next movie and that's about turning the whole thing up to 11 as much as you can with all these guys trying to work together if that's even possible so it this is not going to be some happy-go-lucky Justice League team these are very different characters that have to try to find a way to work together and I like the fact that they're going to have to do that basically in an event film where it's turned up to 11 <laughs> so now Mr. Bresnikan decided to keep on delivering this week yes. and um, mm-hmm. there were two separate interviews that dropped like a day apart mm-hmm. and the first one I think we're going to hit on is the Henry 
Cavill interview. Yeah. And now this one was interesting because Henry Cavill was talking about the psychology of Superman and how Henry Cavill himself decided that he had to delve back in the com- uh, into the comics to find bits of personality to play with, mm-hmm. which I think is important because we've talked about, and I think you've brought it up, you've always said that there was some script issues that you always had with Man of Steel. Right. And you've never really delved into what those issues were. But a lot of stuff that I keep on hearing that I never thought about until people said it was that he really didn't have that much to say. Yeah. There was a lot of him acting, but not a lot of him talking in mm-hmm. Man of Steel. And so I don't, so I think with Terrio's script, Cavill realized he kind of had to re-up his game to mm-hmm. bring this character to the next level. Right. Well, and then he went on to actually talk about at this next level, what, really what is Superman's weakness. And he says, really, it's his biggest weakness is really inside of him. It's the fact that he really does love humans. He loves everything that they bring to the world. You know, he loves the planet and, you know, who he lives alongside. And he really, really, really wants to help them out. And he says, this is a weakness that he really does not want to hurt anyone. And he didn't even want to scare anyone. And in that, that that's where people can t- kind of take advantage of it. And that really makes him that an easy target. And he says, you know, really in Man of Steel, this was someone who was just a, a complete amateur. And he was really facing up against somebody who was very, very well versed in the arts of war. And so he was basically a novice. And that was the thing that they're going to be exploring going forward here. Well, and I think that Cavill's comments about Superman's state of mind following uh, the Black Zero event in Man of Steel is very interesting because he's, it's, he says not survivor's guilt, but it's it's the concept that Superman realizes he has all this power mm-hmm. and he's not vulnerable. You know, he really can't be hurt. But after the incident in Metropolis, he sees all this destruction that can happen around him. And it's the it's the OK, I, I can't save everyone. Right. Which, once again, it, going back to the criticisms that usually get leveled at Man of Steel compared to the Christopher Reeve movies, the Christopher Reeve Superman never had to learn that lesson because right. when he couldn't save someone, he just spun the, <laughs> spun earth, the earth backwards, backwards yeah. and. And, you know, did save everyone by basically cheating. And this Superman, no, he has to live with the fact that that, you know, a battle that he was involved in resulted in thousands of casualties and mm-hmm. billions of property damage. Yep. And I think that's just a much more psychologically interesting Superman definitely. instead of yep. I'm just going to hit the reset button. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I definitely like that. I, I to me, this is much more realistic, you know, and I'm just really glad that they're kind of embracing that. And we've actually heard. Uh, some ideas that we're going to see, you know, Superman doing a lot of Superman things in Batman v Superman, but we're also going to see the fact that he's he's not able to save everybody, that he is going to have some failures. And I think they're going to really kind of drive that point home. And Cavill went to talk about the real life anger that some fans had about the destruction of Metropolis and mm-hmm. Man of Steel. And I love this line. I think that may have been part of the master plan all along. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God, you're just you're just you're adding coal to the fire, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, he says, of course, I can't speak about that from personal knowledge. It's above my pay grade, but he said that when the fingers pointed at collateral damage in the first movie, they point at Superman and he says, I mean, we are talking about a greenhorn, which mm-hmm. I love it because that's what right. they called him on the fishing boat. They right. called him a greenhorn. So I love that. I love Cavill having that little callback to Man of Steel. Right. And then I like what Cavill said here. He kind of really went on and talked about how, you know, Superman
Superman's really not getting credit for saving the entire world in Man of Steel. And he says, you know, when you're doing your best, your utmost, and you still can't save everyone, you know, people will point their finger at you and, and call you the bad guy. And he goes, you know, that would be enormously frustrating. And he says, of course, the human reaction would be, you know, hold on a second. F you, man. <laughs> and his reaction is the first half of that, which it's not quite the F you. And he goes, you know, that's where it, it really kind of hurts him. And, uh, you know, that that's like so true because, I mean, that that is like a lot more true to the Superman character. And, and that actually very much mirrors the criticism I heard from Man of Steel. You know, if you really kind of look at what really happened, he completely saved the entire planet <laughs> from basic extinction by, you know, everything he had to do to, to stop Zod and his army. And, uh, but, you know, you don't see him get credit for that amongst the fans. You know, he literally did save the entire world. And instead you hear about, well, you know, look at all this collateral damage and he, he had to break Zod's neck. And it's basically like, you know, when I hear that kind of stuff, that's where me, I basically want to say F you. <laughs> well, the interview was kind of starting to wrap up with uh, Cavill talking about what other Superman stories he'd like to film. And I just thought this was kind of cool. He was like, I think the offbeat stories are great. Now, of course, when he says offbeat, we in the comic <laughs> books world know he's talking about Elseworld stories. Right. And so he says that he he read Red Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, good taste. You have good taste, Cavill. Yeah, very, very good, good taste. And his comment about Red Sun, and which I think is like all of us who've read Red Sun says he grows up in a different environment with kind of a different set of values, but yet somehow at the core, he's still the same person, whether it's the American way or if it's communism because of Soviet Russia, he's still Superman in an in a interesting way. And he said that's what's important now is to tell a story which is dedicated to sharing the same character mm-hmm. in the comics, even in a different set of circumstances. So his idea is that I think even Cavill grasped the idea of the multiverse yeah. and that the cinematic universe is just it's an else world it's just another earth it's mm-hmm. another variation on the characters but at their core the characters are still the same people just under different circumstances and in different environments and you know i love this because you know how we're just kind of slowly it's almost like putting a frog in boiling water you know it doesn't realize it's it's slowly being boiled uh, you, if we're taking this with the genre the culture the comic culture and slowly moving towards people towards the idea of a multiverse if dc can take ownership of that and get people to really understand and not be confused by the idea of a multiverse, man, we could start having some phenomenal movies made out. I mean, can you imagine if we had a Red Sun movie? Oh, <laughs> that would man, be great. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I mean, there's so many others as well. I think a, a Kingdom Come movie. A Kingdom Come movie, exactly. I mean, that would be just absolutely epic. But, you know, so you, you kind of have to get you have to get people, you know, the general audience. We, of course, understand it, but you do have to get the general audience to really understand that these are, you know, these are alternative universes. And if we can get to that point, man, I, it, we're wide open for some amazing, amazing tales here. And now Tim and I would like to do a reenactment, apparently, of <laughs> conversations between Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck between takes. Tim, would you get it started? Would you start the performance, please? Yeah, we're in between takes here. He goes, hey, uh, I, I, hey Ben, um, do you need to pee? Yeah, I need to pee. Uh, should we go now or wait? How much time do you think we all have between shots? <laughs> <laughs> So that was uh, Henry Cavill really kind of answering a question about what do they really talk about in between takes? <laughs> so, But apparently they both have zippers now, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Apparently he did not have a zipper. He as in Henry Cavill did not have a zipper in his Man of Steel suit. Oh, no, he did not because I've seen how he, I've seen how they had to put that costume on. Yeah. You know, it, it was bad. <laughs> 
So anyway, so we actually move on. Uh, Anthony Bresnikin had this interview that came out. I think it was actually the next day. And this one it is actually, yeah, then this one's actually with Ben Affleck. And, you know, of course, there's just a lot of different things in here. But uh, again, uh, Affleck really talks about the idea of taking on Batman. And he said initially the idea of doing it was just completely abstract. And he was completely uncertain about it. And then he said when he really looked at Zach's long-term worldview and what his take was going to be on the character, he really started to buy in. And the partner that he chose in telling the story is what really appealed to him. Apparently, Chris Terrio was kind of brought in before Affleck actually signed on. Uh, now, I, I think there's probably a little more thought process to this. You know, of course, Warner Brothers, you know, they're the ones that actually uh, signed Chris Terrio to write Argo before they even had brought in Ben Affleck as the director for Argo. And so Warner Brothers, you know, for a long time, they had basically gotten their eyes on Chris Terrio here. And it seemed like, you know, when they wanted to try to improve upon the improve upon Man of Steel, it seems like Warner Brothers got involved here again and got brought in Chris Terrio to work with Zach even before they brought in Ben Affleck. I also thought it was interesting that when he was talking about his con- uh, Affleck's contribution to the Batman legacy, and I, I think he was being very gracious when he was just, you know, he go, talks about the, the beaten down Batman and all the things, stuff we've said before. But in Affleck's opinion, he says that the Nolan Batman has been the defining Batman. He called it so magnificent and that there are no other superheroes. So I think that was something that really sort of appealed to Affleck was that here's a Batman universe where it's just Batman. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was very, um, very gracious of Affleck to go, dude, as far as Batman on screen goes right now, it's it's Nolan. All, <laughs> it's Nolan all the way. Right. Which, I mean, it's not like I'm going to argue, but I mean, Ben, it looks like you're going to win that war. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, and then he was really kind of went on to talk about the Batman legacy. And he says, you know, he was asked, you know, what is his legacy going to be for Batman? And Ben said, look, I'll leave that up to other people to say. But he said he just really wanted to create a Batman that was kind of at the end of his rope, um, not only emotionally, but psychologically and physically. And this is a guy that was really because of the things he's gone through, beaten down by the world. And he went on to say that now he has to go face to face with a super being, which none of the Batmans before him ever had to confront in any kind of movie world. But the thing is, there were no other superheroes in those films. And he says now it's just this guy and he's never had to reconcile you know, who he is with the idea that there's these other beings out there that can do all these like supernatural things. And so then having to confront that and having to deal with that is really what Ben kind of concluded that that's really going to be his contribution to the Batman legacy. Well, then he talked about how, you know, his uh, Batman's contempt for Superman and that there's a real price to be paid in these, you know, action movies when things are exploding all around you and Mm -hmm. people are either getting killed or maimed or suffering and and Bruce Wayne as a human is partaking in that suffering. Right. And Affleck said he really liked the idea that you just don't blow up a whole city and move on from that. Right. You know, that there are consequences and that that is Bruce's dilemma of he has fear and resentment and he's reacting. And, you know, he talked about how when someone with that much power shows up, what is our instinct to do? It's our instinct is to buckle down, you know, bulk up and fight back. Back and you know he doesn't know Superman's a good guy. Right. He just sees someone with all kinds of power. And what's Batman's first reaction? It's take that guy out. Right. You know this is not a Superman that's been around for seventy-five years in their world, standing for truth, justice in the American way. Mm-hmm. And this is a superpowered being that when he showed up, other superpowered beings just like him killed thousands of people. Yeah. And then that would definitely engender fear, hatred. 
hatred, contempt from others around him. Yeah. Well, and then I like where he kind of goes on to really kind of talk about it's he kind of sees Batman projecting his own failures right onto Superman. And he says, look, in some way, like his own sense of failure, like his disillusionment, his own cynicism, he's like basically mapped that right onto Superman. And he said at one point he was certainly a lot more idealistic in his career as Batman. And but he's also been kind of a dark guy. But really, you know, when you go out at night and avenge crime the way he does, you know, you obviously have a darker view of the world. But you can see that this really probably contributes to, you know, some degree to the greater cycle of violence. And, you know, that doesn't really put an end to crime. And this is really about a line of weeds just cropping up. And criminals are like weeds and you pull more of them. And the more you pull, the more they just actually grow back. And so at this point in his career, I think he's kind of become disillusioned and pretty bitter. And then he goes in and really to kind of touch on that, you know, the loss of Robin. He says, Batman is bitterly disappointed in the past that he's lost this guy who used to fight with him side by side. Which I think is interesting because this is basically confirmation that we do have a dead Robin. Right, right. I mean, he says that character's death must have been devastating to him. So this isn't a maimed Robin. This isn't an injured Robin. This is a dead Robin. Yeah. And of course, all this, you know, devastation, this loss occurred before the the movie even starts. So this is really this kind of starting point that where we meet Batman. Well, and I like the idea that Affleck said that Wonder Woman is an inspiring character mm-hmm. to Bruce Wayne and that there are these kinds of people out there and that there are more people trying to do good. I, it reminds me of the soundtrack listing that said that the Batman theme is called still good, still good men out there or, you know, th- th- there are still good men. Men are still good. Men are still good. You know, men are still good. Thank you. That was the title of the track. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what brings Bruce back right. is that, like we said, that idea that 20 years in Gotham, how many good guys are left and now Bruce is realizing, oh, wait a minute, there are other good guys. Right. And then Ben actually goes on to talk about working with Gal Gadot and he says, you know, it's an incredibly hard part to pull it off and talking about probably Diana Prince and Wonder Woman here. And he says she pulls it off with ease and grace and it's also just really fun to watch her. And he says, you know, it's exciting to him that she's out there. But then at some point, Batman realizes that it's not only exciting, but it's also necessary that he finds out if there's more of them, if there's more metahumans out there. And so we had heard in a previous rumor that somebody was, once the idea was that there's one metahuman out there, you know, there's got to be more. And apparently Batman, it seems like he's the one that's kind of digging into this and trying to find who these others are. Interesting. And well, then, of course, on the great rumor of the solo Batman film, you know, whether Ben Affleck directed or not, um, he all, he was he was very coy, shall we say. Mm-hmm. He at least said, there's definitely willing and a will and a desire to make a Batman movie on the part of Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Right. <laughs> uh, he said right now, it, the, the Batman solo film is in development. He confirmed that. Yeah. But he said right now, I'm focused on finishing Live by Night, the movie based on the Dennis Lehane novel. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's where my focus is. I tend to be a one movie at a time kind of guy. All he would say was, when I'm finished with this movie, I'll then focus on my next movie, Live by Night, and figure out what that will be. Which will be the Batman. But, which will be the Batman. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting. We have, really haven't got a chance to talk about Amy Adams a whole lot. Lately. Right, we haven't. Um, which is a which is a dang shame, I have to say. Yeah. Um, but she talked about playing Lois Lane again on a DC All Access interview. Mm-hmm. And I thought this lo- first line was kind of interesting. I feel like that I relate to her a lot more now in my life than maybe I did on the first film. Yeah. So I'm very interested about like, you know, it may be what the three years have done to change her uh, view on Lois. I don't know. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have a conversation with her about
about this and pretty much anything. Um, so Amy Adams, you are welcome to come and be interviewed on Suicide Squad cast. Yeah, um, definitely. We'll just get have your people call us. Our people. <laughs> us. Us. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it is interesting. When I read that, too, I was like, well, what what really changed her? You know, what? there was a question there. They're like, I wish there was a follow-up question, which would have asked that, the obvious question there. But she did really did go on to talk about how, you know, she's seeing in the movie here how Lois sees Clark. And she says she really didn't see him as a metahuman. And he says that's why the relationship works, because, you know, she sees him very much as human. And, you know, that's the part of him that she really connects with. And uh, she she actually says that what Lois finds is that, you know, the superhuman part of Superman is really his soul and not his strength. Well, and then she says that Lois is the type of character that puts her head down and moves forward and, you know, loves to investigate into corruption and the rebuilding of the city, which ties right into that, that, comic, uh, yeah. that, that, that Dr. Pepper comic. And, you know, that she pursues truth and, you know, corruption, scores fix the local high school. You know, right. he's got this idea of the Lois Lane who's like, I don't want any kind of corruption. I'm going to be that dog-eared Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and I'm going to get to the real story. Right. Which I love because that's Lois. That, that's who Lois is. Yeah, definitely. So I, I don't know. I, this was just a real brief uh, interview. Uh, hopefully we get a little more. This was actually on DC All Access. It was kind of nice to actually hear something from her because we haven't really heard a whole lot here. Now, there's actually another female character and this is one that's a little more villainous. And this is Tao Akimoto. And she, of course, is playing Mercy Graves, which of course is, uh, I, what would you call her? I would call her Lex Luthor. Well, she's Lex Luthor's personal assistant. Yeah. And and depending on the version of the character, also bodyguard slash chauffeur slash girl Friday. Yeah. Well, and she was actually interviewed by Huffington Post, and this was uh, I think it was Carolyn Moderacy Tarani, and she went on to talk about a lot of different things, anything, anything from like her first appearance in Wolverine and then also talking about some of the other things she did. Early on, she was a, a model and then uh, that's where she was kind of basically discovered and, you know, kind of pulled into acting. But she said on the set of Batman v Superman, she goes, she felt like she was literally in a theme park, that she was in a dream and she just couldn't believe like the the set that she was on. And she described Affleck as like the strongest actor that she's ever seen playing Batman. She was, this guy is physically huge, which is true. He's like 6'6", six, six, right? Yes. And then, and then even he's 6'6", six, six, but then I guess when he puts his boots on, it pumps him up another few inches. So he just must look absolutely enormous. And she's actually pretty tall herself. Uh, but then she said it was it was really weird on a set. She had a surreal moment where something had happened to one of the, the crew members behind the scenes and somebody got hurt or, or fell or something. She didn't really elaborate, but she's Henry Cavill in his Superman costume had run over to go to try to help. And he was trying to help this person up. And she said his cape was actually flowing. <laughs> so he literally looked like Superman. She was just so surreal. And uh, she said she really enjoys the character that she gets to play. You know, she goes, she actually gets to play somebody evil. And uh, she said she really worked hard to try to make herself look evil and mean. But uh, she did tell us that she doesn't really have any big physical scenes. So I think we could take away the bodyguard aspect of Mercy Graves. Yeah, well, it's it's okay. There's yeah. lots of different kinds of Mercy Graves. Yeah. Um, now, I want to talk about Vroom Vroom the Batmobile. <laughs> yes. Because the production designer, Patrick uh, Tatopoulos? Tatopoulos. Thank you. Was interviewed by Tiffany Smith on DC All Access. And I just, this just, I made my little gear head heart <laughs> smile. Yeah. He's like, it was a long process because you're dying for the fan reaction. You wonder how people are going to receive it because let's be, I'll be honest, we all have our favorite Batmobiles. Right. And he said it took him five months to build two of them. Mm-hmm. And they said they couldn't find tires anywhere and apparently they found some farming tires in Israel that they had <laughs> right. to shave down and re-sculpt and adapt into the car. And basically he he said 
it was where they were being very subtle and subliminal about the bat aspects of the car. But I never thought about this. But his his concept was that when those two hatches open on the cockpit, mm-hmm. those are supposed to resemble bat wings. Right. So, you know, it, it it's less it's less bat looking than maybe some other Batmobiles have in the past. But he says, but we intentionally try to add touches here or there. Mm-hmm. And of course, he talked about how, you know, the off road car, how it can raise itself up. But his uh, his intention was he wanted to make the car look dirty. Yeah. Which I which I love because, I mean, it's his tank. It's going right. to have some battle damage on it even before it pings off the Superman like a pinball ball. Right. <laughs> so now do you remember? Uh, so what was the kind of like production name? Was it like Milo? And uh, I just can't remember. At any rate, I remember the things when uh, when we were seeing some of the behind the scenes images. I remember there was a little logo showing that they were filming this, you know, so-called movie. Uh, but they had this little image and it looked like a little rabbit. And if you actually look at it, it wasn't a rabbit at all. It was actually kind of a silhouette of the Batmobile. And, oh, and so so you actually see that. And I love the fact that he kind of confirmed this, because if you really look at the Batmobile, when the when the cockpit uh, doors actually move up and then the same thing with the Batwing, when the wings fold up, it literally looks like a bat. And I love the idea that they just kind of like embedded that right into the design of these vehicles. So this is your DVR alert for the next week, uh, Tuesday, March 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Gal Gadot will be peer, will be appearing on the Ellen DeGeneres show on NBC. And the next day, March Wednesday, March 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ben Affleck will be on the show. Yeah. So set your DVRs now because uh, it's the Ellen DeGeneres show. So those interviews tend to be interesting. <laughs> She's probably going to make them dance, right? I- probably. Probably. Well, that, that's kind of interesting. We'll just keep an eye out for that. Uh, now, we actually got a little bit of new footage of Superman's appearance before the Senate hearing over on, in uh, Batman v Superman. And this actually came from a Holly Hunter interview on CBS Sunday Morning. And in this interview, they kind of did a little retrospective of her career uh, just because it kind of reminder, she was actually the one that voiced a lasty girl in The Incredibles. I know, she was fantastic. Yep, and she actually kind of revealed that she actually does not like superhero movies, <laughs> so uh, which is a good thing. She's a senator, so she can go after them. Uh, <laughs> but we actually, uh, in this little this little tiny clip that they showed, and it was when Superman is standing before the Senate committee, and there's, it looks like an 11-member committee at this little hearing. And I think I actually see Patrick Leahy, who's an actual senator, who's actually appeared in, I think, all of the Nolan films, right? Yes, he was in all the Nolan films. Yeah, so it looks like he's making an appearance here as well, but as an actual senator. So uh, so in this case, we get this little line where she says, you know, we act by the consent of the government, sir. You know, she's motioning to, or she's speaking right to Henry Cavill as Superman. And then she actually motions off to her left. And over there, we actually see Scoot McNary in a wheelchair. And so it's uh, something we, we thought we had seen before, but this is the clearest view that we had seen of that. So anyway, just something, if you're looking for a couple more seconds of footage, you can, you know, seek out this interview with Holly Hunter, uh, CBS on Sunday morning. Okay, well, moving on to some Suicide Squad news. Yes. Uh, Joel Kinnaman, our own Rick Flag. Um, spoiler alert, I didn't know this when Tim was like, well, I knew it all along. <laughs> but on the latest season of House of Cards, apparently Joel Kinnaman's in this season. Yeah. And he was telling the Hollywood Reporter that you know he was promised five weeks between filming Suicide Squad and House of Cards and then he ended up having like six days. It <laughs> shrunk down. I, I, I think that was funny. So um, if you have Netflix, um, go check out House of Cards season four. Apparently Joel Kinnaman's in it. So cool. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know that. But anyway, yeah, so very cool. It's going to be real fun to see another appearance by him because he was actually in The Killing is where I first saw him. Yes. Which is a great series on AMC. Yeah, AMC and then later Netflix. Yeah, right. All right. So then we got some great, great Suicide Squad posters that were actually released this week, which is, you know, and I love the fact that they did this leading right up to Batman v Superman because.
because they're not shying away from just kind of peppering out some more viral marketing, even with Batman v Superman coming out. Now, these posters, first of all, there's like there's like a movie poster itself, which uh, just basically says hashtag Suicide Squad. And the Q in the squad actually looks like it looks like a mask put over someone's head. There's little holes for, I guess, the mouth and nose with big X's over the eyes. And we've kind of seen this this image shown in some of the previous posters. But it look, almost looks like a lollipop the way they have it. It's not almost looks like a lollipop. It is a lo- it is a lollipop. Let's, let's not bury the lead here. I mean, it has a little stick and everything and it's a little wrapper. It does. I wasn't convinced that that's exactly what they were trying to show. I, I didn't know if there was more to it. But no, I was totally thinking it was like a lollipop that Harley Quinn would be licking on. OK, gotcha. Yeah. And, and actually, um, now I, I've actually seen some images and I think you're probably right. It distinctly is a lollipop. Now, this is actually it was premiered because over at over in Austin, Texas right now, of course, they've got the South by Southwest Festival, which is beginning. And they actually opened up in one of the storefronts downtown. They actually opened up a Harley Quinn tattoo parlor. And it's actually the address. If you're down in Austin, you can get it at uh, 513 East 6th Street. It's over in Austin. And, and apparently you can go there and they have actual tattoo artists that will give you Suicide Squad tattoos if you want them. So you can get a permanent one or you can actually get, um, I guess, some, like not so permanent, the rub on type tattoos. And so uh, I saw today there was a lot of people posting tattoos that they actually gotten down at the festival. And so there were several people that are actually getting permanent tattoos. And to go with this, we actually have 10 different tattoo posters, one for each of the main characters in Suicide Squad. I guess aside from Amanda Waller, these things are excellent. If you have not seen these things. I totally want the Captain Boomerang one. Isn't that a great one? That's my favorite. Yeah, I'm trying to decide. I mean, these things, um, they look like great little uh, singular tattoos you could literally get. And so just kind of running through them, we got Katana. Of course, we have um, the Soul Sword and uh, just a little bit of her mask. But I love the Killer Croc one. It's, it actually shows like a crocodile. Yeah. That one's, uh, it's it's kind of hard to describe it here. You just need to search these things out. Yeah, you need to look at them. I mean, we can tell you who, who's got posters, but I mean, it, it doesn't do it. We're not going to do them justice. Yeah. And the only thing I was just trying to look to see if there was anything in particular, if there were any hints in any of these posters. And uh, But they each of them have characteristics associated with all the different characters. And I agree with you. I love the boomerang one. He's basically clenching a boomerang in his, in his fist. I think we're definitely going to see that. But do you notice the Deadshot one's actually got a bullet hole on his mask? Actually, a couple of them. Several, several bullet holes. And I guess it's actually going through the poster. Right. Yeah. And then the Joker one is, you know, very court gestury, uh, all in, has a yeah. Joker card, a lot of ha ha ha. Yeah. Uh, the Diablo, he's kind of funny. The Diablo one kind of looks a little bit like Ghost Rider. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah, but it's got the little Reaper. Um, what do you call that? What's that? Side. It's a side. Yeah, they, it's got that on, uh, on his forehead as well. But these things are great. Uh, these posters, you know, it's a departure from the really original posters that were put out. Uh, how many weeks ago was it now? God, I can't. It's Suicide Squad has just had some incredibly creative marketing. Yeah. I, I, you can't fault the marketing department for this movie. No, that all. And, it, you know, I hope they really kind of like take advantage of, you know, what Deadpool was able to demonstrate about how incredibly powerful the marketing was for that film. I hope they really do that with Suicide Squad as well. But I think they've already done it. I think that's my I think they're doing it and they're doing it in, in a in a different way, like the, different than any other movie. Right. You know, they're not trying to copy Deadpool. They're being their own thing. And I think it's incredible. They they literally opened up a tattoo parlor <laughs> at the South by Southwest Festival and are tattooing people with character emblems. So I think that's great. Tell us about this Margot Robbie interview that we had. OK, well, it's from I've never heard of this, but Hello Giggles. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but it makes me giggle. 
needle. Uh, but so she was being interviewed about her new movie with Tina Fey and Martin Freeman, uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, at, which looks really funny. I do yeah. want to check it out. Uh, but this is another another interview, kind of like with Ben Affleck with BVS, where Margot Robbie just sounds like she had so much fun. Right. And she is so looking forward to this movie. And I love this line. When people are like, I can't wait to see it. I'm like, you got no idea. I want to see it more than you do. <laughs> right. Which is funny because, you know, apparently she hasn't seen the film, I guess, because it's still in post-production. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the enthusiasm, once again, the, the the genuine enthusiasm that just comes across on the page is, once again, it makes me even more excited for the Suicide Squad film than I ever thought I could be. Yeah, and she talks about the ensemble and she says everyone's character is, you know, has their moment in the film. So it looks like we're going to get some kind of special moment that really was kind of stand out for each of the characters, which is which is great. I'm going to I definitely love that, especially with the idea that, you know, we're we're hearing that they're already talking about filming a Suicide Squad 2, which she said she would be absolutely her word. Right. Uh, up for a sequel. Yeah, definitely. That's great. But she's, you know, and she said this was really the most enjoyable experience in her life, or at least one of the most enjoyable experiences in her life was actually filming this. Well, then she kind of actually revealed how she was offered a role. And I found this real interesting. So she was actually about to sign on for another project. And I guess Warner Brothers came in and they heard that she was about to sign on to something else. They jumped in and they said, before you do that, let's consider, just consider this role because you do not want to miss this. You would be perfectly right for it. And she's like, okay, well, let me read the script. And they were like, well, there's actually no script. And she's like, okay, well, uh, who else is in it? And they were like, well, no one yet. And and uh, she was like, okay, well, what is this film? <laughs> and the only information they actually gave her was that Harley Quinn, a comic book character, and, you know, she had never read any of the comics. But what I thought was funny is that when they told her that David Ayer was directing, yeah. she was like, oh, I'm in. Okay, yeah, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> that's all I need. And apparently she was obsessed with End of Watch, which apparently I'm going to have to watch this movie. You have not seen End of Watch? I have not seen End of Watch. Uh, what's the matter with you? Uh, there's a list. Yeah. We don't have time now. True. Uh, but she talked about how she thought it was so talented and like basically it didn't matter that it was a comic book movie. She was like, if David Ayer is directing it yep. and probably writing it, then I'm in. I don't yeah. care what it is, which I thought was kind of which was kind of fun. Now, this tidbit, though, however, is what <laughs> really got me excited about yeah. this interview. Apparently, she tried on every variation of a Harley Quinn costume known. She said, we tried the court jester costume. Of course, the classic animated series outfit. She said, we tried the corset and skirt, which, you know, is the like the Arkham Knight version. She said, we tried leather pants, which is the Arkham City version. And it was interesting that she was like, we tried everything. And I love mm-hmm. the ones that she specifically drops because a Harley Quinn fan can name where those costumes are right. in, in the in the canon. Yeah. And she says, who knows? Maybe in the sequels we'll go with the Court Jester one. I think there's a world of possibilities. Now, of course, some people have spun clickbait headlines and said, Court Jester outfit next Suicide Squad movie. It's <laughs> right. like, no, it's just her like saying anything's possible. You know, she said she was happy with the outfit they, they ended up with, but she said, man, I tried on tons of outfits. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, the, there's always that talk about how Jared Leto was uh, basically a method actor on the set. And so they asked her, you know, was she a method actor? And she said, I'm not at all a method actor. And she said, you know, I don't think anyone would still be friends with me if I were trying to be method with Harley. <laughs> so she goes, my best friend, who is her assistant, uh, she wouldn't put up with that crap. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So anyway, that's good to hear a little bit of news there. And, you know, and I think after Batman v Superman finally drops here and maybe a couple weeks after that, I, we're really going to be starting to get a, a lot of Suicide Squad news, which would be great. Moving on to Wonder Woman news. Um, really, you just got to go on the Internet. There, there are pictures showing up everywhere. Right. Um, there's a, some great uh, costume photos showing up both in the Wonder Woman outfit and in her Diana Prince sort of 1918 outfit. There's also a lot of filming going on in uh, southern Italy. Yeah. So you definitely want to check out the photos you're seeing there. There's some beautiful towns and coastlines that are that are apparently being shot for location. So yeah. just go to the Internet, find the pictures. Once again, it's radio. We can't do pictures <laughs> justice. Right. Well, so we actually had Gal Gadot uh, actually interviewed by Glamour magazine. And, and there's a lot of different things uh, that we had kind of talked about before. So we're not going to touch on them here. But she really did kind of reveal that while she was on set, she really actually started bonding with Amy Adams and they really became like great friends, like real friends. And she said, you know, when she was filming on the Fast and the Furious movies that she was really surrounded by nothing but men. So she was she really appreciated the experience that she had to actually work with Amy Adams. And, uh, you know, says working with women, you know, it's just good. You know, both both of them are mothers and that they've kind of gone through similar things. So they they really were able to kind of bond over that. And I think it's also interesting that Godot said about getting in shape for the role that apparently ever since she started being Wonder Woman, she's gained about 17 pounds of muscle. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was interesting that she said how much better she feels yeah. about how, you know, her posture's better, the way she walks has changed. And she says she looks at her photos of her from like five years ago. She's like, whoa, I was too skinny. That's yeah. not cool. Yeah. And she did talk to me and we talked about this last week. She was really hesitant about actually gaining weight. She was really concerned about what she would look like. And uh, so she kind of got over that, which is great. I'm, I think this is uh, this is this is really neat to hear that that she's really kind of come to accept and appreciate, you know, how she's been able to transform her body. Yeah. Well, moving on to some breaking Sandman news, yes. which was kind of breaking while we were recording last week, mm-hmm. because two things happened back to back. One, they hired a new screenwriter. Mm-hmm. His name is Eric Heiser, and it, he's going to write the Sandman script. And apparently he's he's big into horror movies. Yeah. You know, he's written stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street remake, The Thing remake, Final Destination 5, Conjuring 2, Lights Out, The Story of Your Life. You know, none of these movies I've seen because I'm not a horror movie guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's our Sandman screenwriter, apparently. Yeah. And then the very next day. Yeah. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's been on to star and direct this movie in forever. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his statement was, I, a few months ago, I came to realize the folks at New Line and I just don't see eye to eye about what makes Sandman special and what a film ad- adaptation could slash should be. So he decided to remove himself from the project and he wishes nothing but, but the best for the team moving forward. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Politically correct statement. Obligatory statements, right? Yes. Uh, which is interesting because, you know, they apparently it started off at Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers decided all the Vertigo stuff was right. going to be pushed to New Line Cinema. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, it was interesting because Neil Gaiman, you know, the ro- novelist and creator of Sandman, apparently had been approached like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, Neil? And he went to Twitter. And so these are very short to the point responses. But he basically just said, I don't own Sandman. DC Comics does. I was 26 when I signed the deal. It was a work for hire job. So basically, I have mm-hmm. no input whatsoever because I don't retain rights to the character. Yeah, he says, you know, I don't write the scripts. I don't pick the director. I don't, I'm not a producer and I don't have nothing to do with the cast selection. And so when you're talking, when, you know, basically he just offered up these few thoughts about Joseph Gordon-Levitt saying that I res- my respect for Joseph is undiminished. Getting to know him was the best bit of the last round. He's special. Would love to work with him some more. He's smart, honest, and really nice. Once again, very sort of yada yada. Yeah, and actually when I read this, it kind of like, it's basically, it's like, you know, let's agree to disagree. And, you know, I don't know. We talked about this a little bit ago, Scott. Now, I actually kind of felt like this was, they were kind of like not over the top kind of praise for Joseph Gordon 
didn't love it. So I, I kind of wondered if maybe, you know, this was kind of like one of these deals where, you know, maybe Gordon Levitt was not the right person for this project. So it's, it's hard to say, you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, you know, what the eventual Sandman film comes out to be. But I just didn't really get the sense that Gaiman was just completely, aside from the can type of remarks he would make, I didn't feel like he was kind of going above and beyond with these remarks. Yeah. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see on this one. Well, to give him credit, though, he was on Twitter. And uh, also, Gaiman tends to be a very, um, he's a very reserved man anyway. So True, true. We'll see. But you know what? Let's move on to some TV news. Yes. Because, dang, it's Friday. And <laughs> did you did you hear the news, Tim? Yes. Did, did Have you heard the news, listeners? All 11 CW shows, the entire network, has been renewed as of today, March 11th. And you know what that means? A third season of Flash, a fifth season of Arrow, a second season of Legends of Tomorrow, and a third season of iZombie. Right. Woohoo! So we actually have some season finale dates that have been announced for the CWDC shows. Now, Legends of Tomorrow, its finale is going to be on May 19th. And then a few days later, The Flash will be on May 24th. And then finally, Arrow will be on May 25th. And I don't know if we had gotten an iZombie date yet on this, but uh, we'll let you know what that is if we get it. Now, Scott, we need to talk about The Flash. Now, you know, we kind of left at this little pause in the series right now as we're waiting until it, it comes back. But I do want to talk about this. I have this little theory about who I think is behind the Iron Mask. Now, I do want to preface this that I guarantee I am not the only one that's ever thought of this or even stated. And um, I don't spend a lot of time jumping on all the different message boards and kind of reading what the different theories are on the Internet. So uh, I'm going to give who I think this is. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever said this. But I think the person that is behind the Iron Mask is none other than the Flash from the 92 series. Okay, so you think it is uh, you think it is a John Wesley ship as Barry Allen. Right. I think it is John Wesley ship as Barry Allen. And I think when he's going to be revealed, everyone's going to go, oh, that's Barry's dad. But in reality, I think it's actually going to be the Flash. And this is going to tie that universe or at least tie that series in as a parallel universe here. Interesting. Yeah. So what do you think about that? That that is that would be very original and creative. I would I would geek out seriously about that. That would be something else. And and I don't know, I I I'm when I saw Supergirl, uh, it was actually Flash when they had the thing where they uh, kind of open up the multiverse and you saw those different images and you saw the image of, you know, the Flash there. I, I think this would perfectly tie in to why you saw the Flash from the 92 series. OK, so. OK. Well, this is interesting because that that ties closely to my theory, because that would be an older version of Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it was going to be an older version of Jay. Oh, OK, because he was because I go back to the fact that he was tapping out Jay in that POW code. And I'm trying to figure out, was he trying to tell them I'm Jay or was he trying to warn them that spoiler alert, All right. Zoom is Jay. So uh, I don't know. I was kind of thinking that maybe Zoom had kind of captured different versions of himself from different mm-hmm. Earths. So that's my theory. Yeah. So I don't know. I at least want to put that stake in the ground. <laughs> that's where I think it's going to go. But we'll see. I think it'd be pretty cool if it if it ended up being that. That would rock. That would really rock. That would be really neat. All right. Tell us about Supergirl. Well, apparently there are while it's not official, there are plans that Supergirl is renewed for a season two because CBS's CEO, Leslie uh, Moonves, 
has implied that all five of their freshman series are going to be renewed. Right. Which would include Supergirl. Right. And this was revealed at a, a Deutsche Bank 2016 media, internet, and telecom conference in Florida to investors. All right. And this this news actually came out before CW announced that they were renewing all their shows. So it was probably, yeah, I'm sure CW came, oh, well, CBS is renewing, then we've got to renew. <laughs> right. Because that's how... Because that's how they make decisions. <laughs> that's how they make decisions. Thanks, Tim. Right. Um, now, it's also cool because I actually tweeted out through the show's Twitter account, the uh, cool comic cover that yeah. they have released in honor of the Flash crossover, which is really cool because it's an actual, it's a Superman 199 cover, but they've redone it to be Supergirl and Flash instead mm-hmm. of Superman and Flash, which is awesome because for the beginning of the season of the Flash, they did that poster that was the um, Flash 123, right. was it 123 or 125? That's the Flash of two worlds. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love the fact of taking like old comic book covers and then re and mocking them up to for these tv shows i just it's like you can keep doing that all day i'm gonna love this yeah definitely cool definitely cool now we also got details about the crossover episode on Mm -hmm. march 28th where barry allen is going to travel to supergirl's world and this variety article does confirm that it is a different universe Mm -hmm. that so barry will cross the multiverse to join the supergirl show Mm -hmm. uh, to help team up to defeat uh um, Silver Banshee and Livewire. But what's interesting is that apparently Barry gets to the Supergirl Earth, but can't get back to his Earth. Right. And so part of the plot is going to be basically, hey, I'll team up to help you beat these two villains if you'll help figure out a way to get me back to my Earth. Yeah. And of course, we just know that she's going to go backwards around the Earth at super fast speed. So. Oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah. So anyway, that that's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see that episode. Uh, but again, it, it establishes in multiverse. And so now um, if he can cross over with Supergirl, then he can certainly cross over with the 92 Flash series. Exactly. Well, you know what, guys? That's all for this week's podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show and the discussion and the discussion and the discussion. There was a <laughs> lot right. of it this week. Yeah. I mean, this has been a ton of fun. We'd love to hear from you guys. So, you know, if there's anything you want us to cover, reach out to us and, uh, you know, we'll try to touch on it. Let us know if there's anything you want to talk about. So, Scott, how can people find us? And of course, the quickest way to get in touch with us is that on our Twitter handle for the show at Suicide Squadcast. You can also reach me, Scott, personally at ScottDC27. And Tim, where can they find you? You can reach me on Twitter at Alan Fire. So, and you can also reach our show via email at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. And we're talking to you. I need help, F1. This is how you get in touch with us to get your prize. Yeah, we've given you plenty of ways to reach out to us. So, you've you got like, what, three weeks left? Yeah. So, we've got a contest winner here we're going to announce very shortly. And we had five reviews this week. We want to run through these. The first review, uh, this actually came to us in the Netherlands and we found out about it because our listener actually let us know it was there. And then when I checked the the Netherlands iTunes, sure enough, there it was. So this actually came on February 9th. And this is from Elite Rarity and it's titled Positively Entertaining and Informative. And he says, since there seems to be a sore lack of reviews in the Dutch iTunes store, I figured I should fix that. I've been enjoying these two disgusting news and rumors surrounding the DC films and TV universes for a while now and continue to be surprised by new insights and interpretations of the material coming out. The guys have a good eye and original thoughts to share, leading to some interesting speculation, while also digging through the clickbait and truly serving you what's been officially confirmed. They're very involved with their listeners, going so far as to indulge us with regular contests and really appreciate all the feedback. They pride themselves on the positivity and don't overly criticize Man of Steel or DC in general. Things you may love, making them to me what true fans should be like. So join 
join in the excitement for what is sure to be a huge year for comic book movies and follow along with all the source-checked info. Be sure to stick around for the very end of every episode. Thank you so much. I love that. You, for, you forgot the winky face. Uh, yeah, there's a winky face, guys. <laughs> Our next review comes from the United Kingdom. It's called Suicide Squad Fix by Stuart Guernsey. Uh, I enjoy waking up each Monday morning and getting my weekly fix of the Suicide Squad cast, which makes my Monday morning back to work a lot easier. I have listened to a few more podcasts. I've now given up on some of them due to their opinion of how they think Batman slash DC should be a lot more toned down. These guys are totally on my level and how I think Batman should be Dark Knight Returns slash Hush Batman. <laughs> they really go into detail on everything going on in the DC Cinematic Universe. You can tell they are true fans and know what they're talking about, unlike some other podcast hosts. Keep up the good work, guys. Listening in from Guernsey, the, which is apparently in the English Channel Islands. Nice. All right. Well, we've stretched that far. Our third review is actually from G. Paulos, and it's titled Great Show. And G. Paulos says, this show is fun to listen to and informative. The hosts keep a good pace while going through all the relevant DC news from the last week or so. They speak intelligently and with passion and excitement. <laughs> intelligently. <laughs> they are entertaining without trying to be comedians. Looking at you, DC Movie News. Love this show. Okay. And then our fourth review comes from Pure Gold by, I don't know if I can say this name and let's still keep our clean label. It's Kiss My Sassy Poo. Oh, okay, okay. Oh. It's not Kiss My's Ass Poo. <laughs> okay, He's, he went there, folks. Uh, <laughs> the review says, uh, found this podcast after the second Suicide Squad trailer and was the only podcast that was talking about it and found my diamond in the rough. Compared to the two other DC podcasts I listen to, these guys don't cross talk and aren't idiots. Keep it up. Thumbs up. Um, hey, Scott, I'm pausing recording here. Um, should we tell the truth and let them know that we are, in fact, idiots? Of course not, Tim. If they find out, our show will be ruined. We, we can't let them know we're not really idiots. Okay, right. I'll edit this out later. Okay, good. All right, unpausing. All right, and then our final review is from, it's Dusk Angels, and it's titled, These Guys Are the Real Deal. These guys are very knowledgeable and insightful when it comes to all things DC. I admire their passion and professionalism they exhibit while discussing their views and opinions on the show. <laughs> professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's a much-needed and rare thing to find family-friendly podcasts that we can share with our friends. All right. Okay. I love all five of those. Thank you so much. But the good news is that actually closes out our sixth? Seventh. Seventh. Is it seventh? It is seventh. Okay. Our seventh contest. All right. So kind of running through these real quick. And then I'm going to use random.org to pick uh, a number from one to 10. That's going to tell us who the winner is. So in order, our 10 reviewers are Elite Rarity, The Rhyme Smith, Jordan Valdez, Jeffrey Dean, Writing Bean, Derek E., Stuart Guernsey, G. Polos, Kiss My Sassy Poo, and Dusk Angels. And the winner is, and it looks like we got number four, which is Jeffrey Dean. Jeffrey Dean, congratulations. Now, Jeffrey Dean was the one that said he was the first-time listener, but also he was the first-time podcast listener, right? Right, like we were his, our podcast was his first podcast ever. Oh, so he was like a virgin. How awesome is that? Well, you actually have now won, Jeffrey Dean. So reach out to us and let us know what you would like to see. Now, remember, you can request a DC trade paperback, $15 or less. And now it can be in print or electronic form. So reach out to us and we'll get it out to you. All right, guys, that is it. We are going to call this a night. This has been a long one, but we had so much fun stuff we had to talk about. So we're going to go ahead and end it here and we will see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Can you be so warm? 
believe we sewed up henry and ben zippers i know look at so him much fun. look at him yeah. those guys are they're, they're gonna pee so bad right now this is awesome <laughs> hey what's that you have oh well after i let those guys know what i did that we sewed up their zipper uh actually ben affleck just handed me this battering oh the one he stole yeah this is the one that he stole but well, why is it blinking Margot Robbie was being interviewed for uh, her new movie with Tina Fey and Martin Freeman, a Wisco Tangy. Uh, being interviewed about her new movie with Tina Fey and Martin Freeman, Wisco Tango. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Foxtrot, I know. I'm going to get this out. <laughs> Third time's a charm.